Well, we are uh, this morning continuing a sermon series that we are uh, going to be in all summer on uh, what are called the Psalms of Ascent uh, in the Bible. These are the, the songs that made up the songbook that Israel would sing and pray as they made their journey up, Psalms of Ascent, going up, uh, to Jerusalem to feast and to worship uh, in their, uh, during their pilgrimages that they would make several times a year to Jerusalem. And so as we're doing that, we're looking at uh, how these psalms can give shape and give voice to the things that we encounter in our journeys uh, in the spiritual life following Jesus. And so uh, we will be in Psalm 122 today. If you are willing and able, would you please stand as we look to God's word? Is from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. You can be seated. This last week, I had the privilege of gathering uh, with pastors and elders from all over the country, really, really all over the world, uh, for our denomination's general assembly. We got together, uh, descended in a wave of blue and khaki onto uh, the city of Atlanta, uh, which hosted our, our General Assembly uh, of the Presbyterian Church. And it was great. It was a wonderful time. It's, uh, it was a great uh, time of worship and fellowship, catching up with old friends and making new ones. And one of the things that I was asked uh, several times, I found myself in the position of describing the city of Jacksonville to other pastors. Right? They'd say, oh, you're from Jacksonville? What's that like? And so getting to talk to them about why I love our city, all of the things that I love about uh, raising my family and pastoring my church and living my life here in this beautiful city with all the natural beauty that's given to it, all the, all the cultural beauty that's cropping up with new restaurants and galleries and all sorts of wonderful things in our city. And it was cool to get to talk to other pastors about this. Every, listen, every half-decent pastor uh, should love their city, right? There's nothing uh, more bitter than listening to a pastor complain about the place that God has called him or the people that he's been called to love. Um, and so getting to talk to other guys about, hey, tell me what you love about your city. Right now, we're all by this point used to, uh, there's a PCA minister in New York City named Tim Keller, and there's a bunch of other PCA churches there. And so it's somewhat, you're somewhat used to hearing people talk about New York City, about how it's uh, this powerful, wonderful city that if we can change New York, it'll have these long-reaching implications for the whole country and the whole world. You're used to people talking about New York that way by now had a friend in L.A. and to listen to him talk about the arts and the artists that were in his church and the way that he really believes that if we can change the way that uh, people think and make movies and create culture, that out of, it, out of L.A. we can have far-reaching implications uh, in the world. And it, that makes sense for L.A. But then you sit down with, uh, with other pastors, Ray Cortez, a good friend, and hear what he's doing and listen to him talk about Citrus County, Florida in the same way that Tim Keller talks about New York. Talk about the, the economic challenges of his city, but the wonderful people that are there, about the impact that their church is making over the decades there. 
to listen to my friend Dan, who's planning a church in Little Rock. Talk about Little Rock, Arkansas, of all places, as this beautiful city where life is breaking out and good things are happening. And then to get to share with them some of the work uh, that God is doing in Jacksonville, uh, through the churches here and through the wonderful, wonderful city uh, that we have. You know, the Bible uh, clearly talks about the importance of the cities uh, of this world. Right in Genesis chapter 4, we see the founding of the first city. Uh, Cain, after slaying his brother, uh, sets out and begins a family and builds the first city. He names Enoch. And out of that city, they begin to see both the flourishing of culture uh, and human ingenuity, but also it continues on in sin and violence. Right, of course, uh, as the story goes on, there's the great idolatrous city of Babel. Uh, where the people come together to build something great for themselves and God frustrates their plans. There's Babylon, the, the, the city of captivity, the city that, uh, that Israel was, was held in as captives but learned and was told to serve and to seek the welfare of. There's, of course, the city of Nineveh, where God himself says, should I not have compassion on that great city where so many live and he sends his reluctant prophet Jonah to go and bring uh, his message to the city of Nineveh. But one city stands out in the Bible. It's, of course, the great city, the city of God, Jerusalem. The city that our psalmist uh, finds himself in here in this, in this psalm. This, this psalm is essentially a love song uh, to Jerusalem. It's a song praising the amazingness the beauty, the God-centeredness, the worshipfulness, the justice of Jerusalem. You know, cities, uh, of course, it's a human phenomenon. Human beings build cities wherever you place us. It's our, a part of our desire to do life uh, socially and together, to build something together instead of doing life on our own, scattered. But we can build better or worse cities, right? Some cities uh, are marked uh, by fairness and justice. Others are marked by unfairness and injustice. Some are marked by concern and compassion uh, for the poor. Others by greed. Some are marked by beauty. Others by ugliness. Some by safety. Others by vulnerability and threat. In Jerusalem, in the Bible, is the, the, the queen city. It's the city above all cities. It's the city that, uh, that, for the biblical authors, they really believe that Jerusalem was the center of the earth. That as Jerusalem went, so went the rest of the world. That if Jerusalem prospered, the whole world would be blessed. And so let's look uh, just briefly uh, at first about this psalmist love song for Jerusalem. First, he gives gratitude uh, for this city because it's a glad city. Look at what he says. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Remember, the pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem was a pilgrimage to a feast for the Israelites. It was going to Jerusalem to celebrate, to party. It was like the feeling of having your, uh, well, maybe, maybe, not, maybe this experience hasn't been positive for you, but of having the family packed in the car and headed home for Thanksgiving. Right, if you can imagine that being a happy experience, um, where you're excited, you're ready to see everybody, to eat a feast, to celebrate together. And so they go to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship. Worship was at the very center 
of the city of Jerusalem, the, the temple mount where God's temple was, where his presence was, where his grace was, was a cause of incredible celebration and joy for the people of Israel. And so they went and they were glad and they were ready to celebrate. You know, it's one thing to have joy by yourself, right? You can be happy by yourself. Uh, but there's something about joy that desires to be in the presence of others. There's something about celebration uh, that draws us together with our friends, with our family, with those that we want to share that joy with. They want to tell others about why we're happy, why we're celebrating, to party together, right? A one-person party uh, is not the most fun party in the world. Two people is better. Three people is better. The more that can come together to celebrate, the more joy can be there. And so the psalmist expresses this incredible gladness about being in Jerusalem. In fact, he goes on in verse 4 to say that the, the, the tribes have come up to Jerusalem as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Right? They were decreed, they were called to go and worship. Uh, they were to worship whether or not they felt like it or not. Uh, they were called to go in the idea that their hearts would experience gladness and joy uh, as they went and as they were together. So it's a city of joy. It's a city of security. Look at what he says in verse 3. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. There the thrones, verse 5, for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Right there in Jerusalem where the king reigns, within its walls, it was a safe and good city. Right? It was a place where people could find protection and shelter. You know, in the ancient world, uh, to be in a city was to be safe. And to be outside of a city was to be vulnerable. Right? If you were outside of a city and an invading army came in, you had no hope, you had no safety, so people would flee within the walls of the city. If you were poor on the outskirts of the city, uh, left in isolation, you had no means to look out for yourself, but in a city you could receive charity. You could receive grace, you could receive mercy. And so a city with a good king that had good laws and enforced them was a safe and secure place. And that's what Jerusalem was. And then finally, it was a peaceful city. The psalmist says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. May peace be within your walls and security within your towers. You know, the vision that Israel had of Jerusalem, Jerusalem literally means the city of Shalom, the city of peace. And so the idea for Israel was that Jerusalem would be a city at peace, a place where God's people lived at peace with him, in the temple, in his presence, where they lived at peace with one another, and that over time, all of the nations of the earth would be gathered into the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, look briefly with me at Micah chapter 4. I'll read it starting in verse 1. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's the temple mountain at the center of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem was built, shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples, and shall decide for the strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So you see the image there is, is, the, is the mountain of the Lord. Jerusalem's lifted up. The people come there. They submit to the king on the throne of Israel. And they learn and they find their way to peace. They take their weapons and they melt them down and they turn them into to farming implements. There is, is the peace of Jerusalem radiates out and ripples out over the entire world. So Jerusalem was to be a city of gladness, of security, and of peace. Okay. Why does this matter at, at all? Um, you've maybe never been to Jerusalem. You may never have plans to go to Jerusalem. Uh, why does this picture of the beauty of Jerusalem matter? You know, listen, you, you, uh, you may have seen in the news recently uh, that the U.S., we moved our embassy in Israel. Uh, I know the news comes at us pretty fast these days. Um, but we moved our, we moved our, our embassy uh, from a city called Tel Aviv into, a city, into the city of Jerusalem in Israel. And there were two Christian pastors uh, who went uh, to the opening of the embassy. And they prayed uh, for the opening of the embassy. And they spoke about the opening of the embassy in a way that, that yes, reflected the, the ancient belief of the Bible. That Jerusalem is at the very center of God's plan for the world. Right? That through Jerusalem would come God's peace for the world. But heaped onto that and around it, they also implied that the movement of the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem was somehow a piece of God's coming of his kingdom, right? That as, as, as we recognize Jerusalem, as Jerusalem gets more powerful and gets more holy, that over time, uh, through that alliance, that out of Jerusalem would come uh, the, the kingdom of God, basically. So there's something good about that. They recognize the the historic and biblical importance of Jerusalem. Uh, but there's something very, very wrong about that. Uh, namely, it misses the entire New Testament. Um, it misses what is fundamentally changed about the New Testament picture of the kingdom of God. From the perspective of the New Testament writers, Jerusalem isn't Jerusalem anymore. Uh, Jerusalem uh, is no longer bound in time and place uh, to a physical city uh, in the Middle East. That city, that physical place, is no longer uh, the epicenter of God's plan for the world. So, you, the U.S. moves our embassy there. You can, for, for a host of reasons, you might like that decision, you might not like that decision. But we shouldn't believe that that decision has anything at all to do with the coming of the kingdom of God. The U.S. opening our embassy in Jerusalem has no more to do with the coming of the kingdom of God than if Japan opened their embassy in Tacoma, Washington, instead of Washington, D.C. Um, it's, a, it's a decision by rulers of secular kingdoms of this world who will one day bow to King Jesus. So what the New Testament says about this, this profound and beautiful vision of Jerusalem, the good city, the city of God, being the key to God's plan of, of working out his redemption of the world, is found elsewhere. It's found if you look at Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem 
coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates the 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates on the north, and on the north three gates, and on the south three, three gates, and on the west three gates. And on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It goes on to describe the, the, uh, the dimensions of the city, the, uh, the jewels and the gold and all that's made up of this beautiful city. And then skipping down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This description uh, of the New Jerusalem isn't strictly, uh, strictly understood just a description of heaven. It's a description of the church, right? When it says that there he saw the bride of the Lamb, that's a description of the church. That's common biblical language for describing uh, the church is the people of God. As he says, by, uh, by its light will the nations walk. That's Jesus' description of the church. The church is placed as a city on a hill. The church is placed uh, as the light of the world. The, the true city of God, the true Jerusalem, is, it's amazing. It's no longer in the Middle East. It's now being constructed in heaven and is descending onto the earth through the work of the church. As the church goes forth and is planted and flourishes and grows, the heavenly Jerusalem is descending into this world, bringing peace, bringing gladness, bringing security into the cities of this world. You know, it was uh, <clears throat> third century St. Augustine who made this observation in his very large magnum opus uh, called The City of God. He observed that in this world, in every city, there are really two cities. There's the city of man and the city of God. There's a city of man that's rooted, he said, in the love of self, the exaltation of the self. And there's a city of God rooted in the love of God. He wrote during a time, he was a citizen of the Roman Empire, and it was during the time where the empire was falling. And nobody in that world could imagine life if Rome fell. Think about Rome, that great imperial city. It's still a lovely city to go visit, and you see the, the ruins and all that has been there through history. And for the ancient, ancient world to think of Rome falling was to think that history as they knew it was coming to an end. Right? If Rome crumbles, then what hope does civilization and justice and goodness have in the world? And Augustine said, no, no, no. There's a city of God that will endure through the rising and fallings of the cities of this world. That while the cities of this world waste away, they, some rise, then they fall. The city of God is being built, and it will come to bring justice and grace and goodness in the world. And we believe uh, that that happens through uh, the ministry of the church, 
that you can go to Jerusalem, you can build Jerusalem without ever leaving Jacksonville. And so let's look at the church as the new Jerusalem from Psalm 122. First, the church is a city of gladness. Right, just as worship stood at the very center of Jerusalem, worship is the, at the center of the church's life. Of all the other things that we do, all of the, uh, the groups that we have and the work that we try to do in the neighborhood and with the rescue mission, all of that, the core of the church's life is our call to glad and joyful gratitude and worship. In a sense, to worship is what it means to be a part of the church, to be a Christian. Again, uh, Augustine said this, He said, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. The Christian life is such one of joy that you should be caught up in joy from the tips of your toes to the top of your head, that it's called to be a life of joy. And so we are to be glad when we come to worship because that's where life is to be found. You know, it sounds crazy, uh, doesn't it? In a world, you know, we live in a world where the single fastest growing Religious commitment, if you could call it that, are those who identify themselves as spiritual but not religious, right? Those who have uh, desire, some sense of transcendence and spirituality of their life, to their life, but who don't desire a a concrete attachment uh, to any particular organized religion. And on one hand, you look at that and you say, I get it, right? We have all seen Uh, the evil done at the hands of organized religion. We've all seen the emptiness that can come into ritual. And so to claim, as, as the Bible does, that spirituality, true spirituality, means gathering in a physical place with a defined group of people in a particular church, doing life with them and worshiping together. It seems crazy uh, in our day and age to say, no, no, spirituality is something more than just your soul's experience of God, that it requires something to be done with your body, with your relationships, with your whole life, to go to a particular place and to gather to worship, to hear uh, the word of God from an actual human voice and not over your iPod, to sing songs sung by your neighbors that you're in community with, not the latest, uh, your favorite worship CD, but to believe that somehow the actual gathering together matters supremely. And it matters whether you feel like it matters or not. Right? Remember what it said, that that Israel went up to Jerusalem as they were decreed. How did you feel when you woke up this morning and realized it was Sunday and time to go to church? You can can be honest. I'm not going to make you say it out loud, so it doesn't matter. Um, But I got to say, for most, for a lot of my life, I've got to confess that I didn't wake up on a Sunday morning with an, oh boy, let's go uh, attitude of my heart. Then I became a father and I had to get, you know, kids there with me uh, in some manner of not in their pajamas. (laughs) Then I became a pastor and you start to have responsibilities on Sunday morning and all that. But for for much of my life, coming to church on a Sunday, uh, it was somewhat like the feeling, remember, you ever wake up on a day that you have a dentist appointment? And when the alarm goes off, you kind of, in a haze, you go through the, what do I have to do today? oh, I've got a dentist appointment. Your heart sinks a little bit. And you go, I know I should probably go. I know it's good for me. I know that I need, I I probably just need to suck it up and do it. I think for a lot of times, that's been my basic orientation towards church. I know it's good for me. I know I probably ought to go. It's good for my health, so I'll, I'll go. It's what society requires of me, to have, you know, a decent mouth, to go to church. 
And yet the psalmist says that even if that's how you feel about it on any given Sunday, right? There's some Sundays you wake up and you're glad and you're ready and you want to go. But even if you wake up and you don't, your, your heart just isn't in that place. The idea that God calls us and commands us to worship, uh, the idea behind that is as you worship, your feelings very often catch up with your body over time. Amen. Right? If you wait until you feel like doing something to do it, often you never do it. Right? How many people have been waiting until they feel like starting to eat right uh, to start eating right? Or wait until you feel like starting an exercise program to start going? Right? If you wait until you feel like it, you, you never do it. But as you put yourself in a position uh, where you are exposed to the means of God's grace, to the presence of his people, to, the, to, the, to his word, to the songs, to the fellowship, to communion, that God brings your heart along with it. Uh, so that in time your heart catches up uh, with your body. So the church uh, is to be a city of joy. It's to be a secure city. Because King Jesus rules in the midst of the church. Uh, the church is to be a place of security and safety. Right? It's to be a place where we can go and gather and know that we will be looked after, protected. It's meant to be something stable and reliable in the midst of a world that is so often anything but stable and reliable. Right, it says in verse 3 that we are to be built as a city that is bound firmly together. You know, we live in a world where the institutions that once gave something solid to our identity, uh, the church, the family, the business, uh, very often have started to fracture and so that people are left wondering who they really are. And in the midst of that, the church is meant to be a family that embraces people and says, you are one who's beloved by God. You are a son and a daughter. You are a brother and a sister. You belong here. You're welcomed here. You're loved here. It's meant to be for us in a transient world something stable that we can rely on. You know, we've seen this just in our own church body in the, in the last few weeks, right? We've talked already about a few men who lost their fathers. And the church for them has been some, somebody they could call, some people they knew could, they could rely on to come with them, to sit with them, to pray with them, to weep with them. Right? We've had families bring new children into the world. And in the midst of the, the rush of anxiety and terror that comes with being responsible for a human life, to know that the church is a, is a family that's solid, that you can rely on, that you can trust to walk with you, uh, with your children. But the vision of the church isn't simply that it should be a source of security and stability for its members, but that it should be a source of security and stability for its neighbors. Uh, that it should be a place that her neighbors know, that they can look to find something that can be counted on, that can be reliably merciful and gracious and steady. You know, one of, uh, it, may, it may be not exaggerating to say that it's my favorite movie, uh, is a, it's a French movie called Of Gods and Men. I've quoted this before. You may have heard this. Um, it's, it tells the story of a group of French monks uh, living in a small uh, village in Algeria. And so these French monks had been uh, some form of this monastery, had been there for decades by this point. And then the Algerian Civil War breaks out. So it's a small little group of Christians who'd made it their life, living in a, uh, an overwhelmingly Muslim country, village, uh, they found themselves uh, actively giving their hearts and their life to this village. 
They were the primary source of medical care. They took care to feed the poor. Uh, They were a key part of uh, education uh, there in this city. They had such become a part of this city that they were, uh, they grew to deeply love it, this little town. And then all of a sudden the Civil War breaks out and this army of, uh, this militia is starting to move towards the city. This is based on a true story. So here they are, a tiny little group of Christians in the midst of a civil war being fought by two, two Muslim groups. And they're having to wrestle with, this is the scope of the movie, is they're wrestling with their decision, do we stay or do we go? Right, the army is coming, the militia is coming, violence is coming. Do we stay here in this monastery and continue to seek to serve and to love and to pray, to intercede for these people? Or do we go? The, uh, the church uh, in Rome had already requested that they leave. They had made plans to send an envoy to get them out of Algeria. And yet the monks wrestle with their decision. At one pivotal point in the movie, uh, the monks are sitting around with some of the leaders of the village, trying to decide whether they stay or do they go. One of the monks asks, but can we stay without protection? One of the Arab women says, but you are the protection. One of the monks replies, he says, I feel like we are like birds on a branch. Birds who do not know yet whether they will fly away or stay on the branch. The same woman replies, no, no, we are the birds and you are the branch. If you leave, we lose our footing. Imagine the beauty of that. A Muslim village saying to a group of Christians, you are the branch. In you, in your shelter, in your stability, we have found our life, we found our well-being. If you go, what happens to us? I, I can't urge you to rent the movie enough. Probably not with your kids, but it's, it's worth watching. The, the, the monks do ultimately stay and serve to the end of their days there in that village, uh, laying down their life for their neighbors. But can you imagine? Um, I don't think that's a spoiler. It actually happened, so you could have, you could have looked it up. <laughs> Can you imagine what it would be like as this church grows? We are in the first, first handful of years of our life in this neighborhood. But can you imagine decades in, when I've long gone, maybe the next pastor's in. Not leaving, but maybe, you know, pastor this place, I die, somebody else comes in. <laughs> decades later, our neighbors saying, no, 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 Christ Church in town. You are the branch. We're the birds. We find our life in the shelter of your limbs. We find our security within the life of your church. If you go, what will happen to us? If you were to pull out, what would we have? Imagine being a church so ingrained in the life of our neighbors uh, that like Jesus uh, said, the church would be. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows into a tree and provides shelter for all of the birds of the air. For us to be that a city of peace, city of shelter here. And then finally, the church is a city of peace. We said that the vision was that the shalom of God. Uh, shalom is one of those words that when you try to translate it into English, you ruin it. Uh, it doesn't, it, you know, it's like, uh, it's like trying to understand a, the, the wonder of an animal by dissecting it. You can't quite do it because by the time you do it, it's dead. Um, But shalom is this rich, big, biblical word that means the perfect peace and flourishing of of creation. No more violence, no more warfare, no more sickness, no more alienation between human beings and one another or between God and human beings. And the idea that this shalom, 
would take place and be tasted first in the church as we experience peace with God through the gospel, as we experience a reconciled humanity, male and female, rich and poor, the various ethnicities of the world coming together in one church and then radiating out from there over the entire world. We are to become a city of peace, not only within ourselves, but reaching out outside of ourselves everywhere that God's placed us. You know, every Christian uh, has a dual citizenship. We're citizens of this world, citizens of the kingdoms of this world, and yet ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And we live our lives in that tension, that dual citizenship. But we're to align our hearts and our lives with the kingdom of God, making its growth and its flourishing our agenda making it our highest love and our deepest vows are to the building up of the city of God within the city of Jacksonville, within the cities of this world. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to keep the loyalties of our hearts straight and to remember that our principal loyalty is to the kingdom of God, not to our city, not to our state, not even to our nation. I had a beautiful picture of that this week uh, at our General Assembly. Uh, the Presbyterian Church in America is blessed to have a very large group of, of uh, Korean churches in our midst. Uh, Presbyterian missionaries went to Korea, and uh, the gospel was just really went forth uh, in their ministry. Over, uh, in, in, if you ever go to South Korea, uh, Presbyterians make up over half of the Christians in South Korea. Um, so it's the largest, uh, certainly the largest Protestant group, and I believe the largest Christian group in all of South Korea. And as those Koreans at times migrated to the United States, they planted Presbyterian churches. And so now we have a number, I mean, you know, probably about 15, 20% of our, of our church is Korean speaking. And so, um, and as they grow, you know, those are Korean speaking churches. If they have, as they have kids, they're now starting bilingual churches. And it's really an amazing uh, part of our church. Our, our moderator of last year's General Assembly, which is kind of the highest uh, spa, uh, post for a season elected to serve within the Presbyterian Church was a Korean-American um, from California. It was actually that very same brother that I spoke with this week and talked to him about what's happening on the Korean Peninsula. Right, if you've, if you've, it's been in the news all over the place recently. You remember a few weeks ago, the, uh, the president of North Korea and the president of South Korea symbolically met at the border and one of them stepped into one country and then they stepped together into the other one. Just last week, our president met with the president of North Korea. And to see this brother with tears in his eyes say, never did we imagine, never did my parents imagine that we would see the South and the North beginning to even talk to one another, beginning to even think about peace. The fact that, that peace and maybe even off in the distance reunification is even on the lips of anybody in Korea is beyond their wildest dreams of ever thinking about. And they were, they were weeping over this. And he said, but you know what? My entire life, we have prayed for the North. My entire life, our churches have prayed to see the gospel go out in North Korea. As, as spiritually rich in the gospel and fruitful as South Korea is, North Korea has been uh, just as barren, almost entirely by, by law an atheist country. And he said, my family, my church, we've all longed for the gospel to go out into North Korea, to see the church flourish and grow there, to see our, our cousins and our uncles and those who've been set, uh, separated by the border get a chance to hear the gospel. 
has been at the, the top of our prayer list for so long. But now that it's an actual possibility, he said, I hear my friends back home saying, no, you know what, but I'm actually, I'm not sure if it's good for the economy if we were to actually reunify. I'm not sure, what would it do? Would it, de- would it destabilize us too much if we were to take the North uh, onto ourselves? What about their infrastructure? And we're so prosperous, they're so poor, what would happen? And with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm getting stretched. We're getting stretched between the, on this very question. Is our primary allegiance to our nation or to the kingdom? Is our primary allegiance to the prosperity of South Korea or to the good and gospel flourishing of the North? Is it the city of man or the city of God that occupies the primary allegiance of our heart? Well, friends, let's commit together to building the city of God here in Jacksonville to build and to plant and to nourish the city of God, the church of God here in our place. You know, when I talk about what I love about the city of Jacksonville, there's lots uh, that's that's worth loving here. Uh, But the first thing on a Christian's lips when you talk about the city yeah, we can, we, I do and I can talk about the great restaurants we have here and the great fishing and the surfing and all that you can do here. I talk about the things that I love about what's happening in the city. But the first thing we should say is, let me tell you what Jesus is doing in our city. Let me tell you about the brothers and sisters that I get to worship with, that I get to do life and ministry with. But let me tell you about the brothers and sisters in other neighborhoods uh, that are also following God's call in their place. Let me tell you about what Jesus is doing to build the city of God within the city of man, that it's making a real and lasting difference here. And so we are all in. We are committed, my family and I, to building the city of God, building the church of God in Jacksonville uh, for as long as God gives us. And as we join together in that as a church, think of what God can do to bring his peace, his gladness, his security into our city. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that you would build your city here, that you would build your kingdom here. Lord, help us in the allegiance of our heart to fix our hearts on Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that is being built here and now through the work of the church and the fullness of that city, which we will one day inhabit uh, without any trace of sin without any trace of separation, where God himself, you will be our temple, the lamb will be our light, and we will dwell in the fullness of the light of God. Until that day, Lord Jesus, help us to give all of our resources, all of our time, our energy, our prayers, into seeking the flourishing of the church and the city. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.